Hello, everybody. This is another episode of the uh, SLTD Going Over Big Time podcast. Um, Mike and I are once again uh, gracing you with our presence to talk about all things wrestling. We are going to do a recap of Impact Wrestling Slammiversary, which took place this past Saturday as of this recording, live in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, St. Clair College. Uh, very uh, interesting pay-per-view in in the sense that it was a almost like a big reset of all the titles. Um, five of the six championships were changed hands. Um, a lot of other interesting little tidbits in there. And then after that, we're going to talk about some other matches that Mike and I have noticed just past week. Uh, and then we'll do a quick rundown of uh, Death Before Dishonor, which, uh, as of this recording, will take place on Friday, July 21st in Trenton, New Jersey. So, Mike, uh, Slammiversary taking place uh, just about four to five hours from where I am uh, in Windsor, Ontario, the hometown of uh, Impact President Scott Damore. Um, so, and speaking of Scott Damore, he had his own match in the show, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, yeah, so... Big as I mentioned at the top of the top of this episode, big significant thing that Slammiversary this year was all the title changes. I don't think I've ever seen almost all the titles made in this in the promotion change hands on a single night. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that before we dive into the quick rundown. Uh. Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting that they that they changed over you know eighty percent of the championships being defended and uh, yeah, as you said, I guess it's more of a more of a reset than more than anything because a lot of these people were either uh, trying to get to the next level or get back to the next level and. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed this show pretty much from top to bottom, except for one match that we will discuss. That is one of those title matches because <laughs> it wasn't really a match. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, looking at the pre-show, there were um, we got two matches on the pre-show, and actually one of them uh, was one of those title changes. We have this six women's tag team. Well, actually, it's not six women. Six person tag team match. Uh, mm-hmm. Jody Threat joining the Death Dolls, Courtney Rush and Jessica. Uh, they defeated the uh, group now known as the Shaw Tourage, consisting of Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans, and uh, Jay Fidal. For those of you who don't mm-hmm. know, Jay Fidal is a guy. Um, yes. I believe Jay took the pin, uh, as far as I can remember. He, he is uh, Giselle Shaw's personal stylist. Executive stylist and content creator, I believe it was his official title. Uh, Uh, Savannah Evans is the head of security. Um, But uh, I mean, it's that's it's it is it's all fine. I mean, this was a fun. This there's not a lot to say about this match. I I they mentioned it on commentary, and I thought that it actually made sense that Jody Threat fit pretty well with the Death Dolls. Yes. Um. 
and I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping she stays with them and, and they do something as a group more frequently. Yeah. Um, so here's where I have some advantage on you because I just finished watching uh, Impact on Axis. And uh, yeah, I, 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 so it looks like they had a match where I think it was Courtney Rush versus Savannah Evans. And apparently during mm-hmm. the match, Jody Fett was out here to provide backup and she carried Jay Vidal away. She didn't beat him down and then like dragged him out. She literally picked up the man and carried him away like uh like a damsel in distress. Okay. And then later That's they did weird. a back later they did a backstage segment where Giselle and Savannah were looking for Jay because uh um apparently Giselle needed to change her she, outfit. She 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 abducted him. Yes. Jody Fett abducted Jay Vidal and they, and then in the back, Giselle was looking for him because she needed a, a wardrobe change or something. And uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and then they had a Giselle and Savannah had an interaction with the team now known as MK Ultra, who are the new Knockouts World Tag Team Champions. We'll get to that later. Um, yes. But essentially, at that point, Jody Fett emerges with Jay Vidal and basically. Drops him to the floor in front of Giselle and just like, yeah, next time, uh, keep an eye on him or something to that effect. And then Jay basically was just crumpled on the floor, curled curled up in a fetal position, having convulsions. So I don't know what the hell happened to him. Uh, <laughs> she might have uh, used him for personal pleasure. Why did you say it like? Anyway, anyway, um. I believe the main point we're trying to get across is uh, there's a natural alliance between Jody and the Death Doll, so let's hope that continues. Yes, and then if we're gonna, yes. I think uh, we're gonna, yeah, I think we should just move on from there. So. Also, <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to add because I, I mean, I've seen more of it recently than you know. I, I like, uh, I like Courtney Rush a lot more than uh, Rosemary. I, I, I think it's just. It's, uh, it's definitely think, different. Um, well, I've it's used- not. It's different for Impact, but that right. was her. That was her uh, persona on the Indies. Uh yeah, um, I think it was her persona on Shimmer. Yes, I guess I. I'm trying to remember what happened with Shimmer. I think they're still operating. Um. Is- yeah, I'm. I'm actually not too sure about that uh but yeah i i just think courtney rush is uh much uh i don't, I don't want to use the word cooler but like just a better a better persona for like this yeah iteration of impact i think i think they need to impact needs to get away from the the um the scary stuff like oh people are getting murdered and kidnapped Wow, considering they, 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 I mean, yeah, they did that today, yeah. but I'm just, I'm just saying they need to. I, I think they need to get away from the, the supernatural stuff and do more focus on realism. And I think that's with Courtney Rush. Yeah. See, the... see, originally the Death Dolls had Taya with them, and Taya and Jessica had more of a natural chemistry, whereas Rosemary was like the scary demon witch, right? And then once yeah. Taya was vanished to the quote-unquote undead realm, aka signed to another company. Uh, it was kind of yes. interest odd that they, they, you know, they were the odd couple again. So they needed to make a it's change. Also, it's also very weird that like 
so many of Impact's women have alter egos. <laughs> like, more than four of them. <laughs> There's, like, a lot. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. M- moving on. Uh, the next match is the first of our many title changes. Kenny King, accompanied by Sheldon Jean from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, defeated Joe Hendry, the Digital Media Championship, to win this title, ending the longest reigning digital digital media champion at 266 days. Kenny King uh, basically won with a cheap uh, kind of a foot on the rope kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Little help with a Sheldon Gene distracting uh, the referee and Joe and all this stuff. Um, what I found strange was that they were making all this flack about Kenny King's prior career as a male stripper. And mm-hmm. then the prop they used, the Chippendales collar tie, was mm-hmm. put on Joe Hendry instead. And I thought, wouldn't it have made more sense to put it on the guy you are basically ribbing as a stripper from the past. It also would have it also would have made more sense to find something else to make fun of. I mean like make fun of the fact that he was on the on the bachelorette. Like something else. But because that it just like he should have just embraced the whole you, stripper yeah, thing. You're in a you're in a profession where ninety nine percent of your colleagues are Topless. Under in their underwear. Yes. And you somehow think that just putting on a hoodie is gonna just alleviate that yeah. perception. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I didn't I didn't really like that part of the storyline, but but uh yeah. either way, I, I thought the match was the, the match was fun. It was it was fun for what it was, and you, you kind of got what I kind of what I expected in this match and both guys are good wrestlers. Just was what it was, and they were fighting for a horribly named belt. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe I maybe uh, I just have the opinion that you know your the TV championship is a very worn out, used a passe kind of name in twenty twenty three, and maybe they're just just the way they're There's trying to better. modernize a version of that. There's um, better names for it. Yeah. Though. When I was watching and uh, during my own live tweeting of the show, later on they did a backstage segment where Kenny King was, you know, flaunting his new uh, championship, and mm-hmm. uh, I noticed the sort of like uh, interaction between him and Sheldon Gene, and I jokingly tweeted out, "I'm wondering if Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams over on NXT are watching Kenny and Sheldon and wondering." What, they're copying the Trick Mellow gang? Huh? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to copy us? <laughs> it was literally, I look at those two and I was like, literally, they're literally just copying Carmelo and Trick. The dynamic there. Eh, like, everything in wrestling is copied these days. It's not, you're, you're never going to get away from that. Yeah. If only like at Multiverse of Madness we could get this kind of tag team match, I would like to see that. But that is not to mm-hmm. me. Anyway, the new digital media champion, Kenny King. Now we're moving on to the main uh, card. Uh, the first match is the Ultimate X match to determine the number one contender to the X Division Championship. You had Kushida, Alan Angels, Jonathan Gresham, Kevin Knight, and Mike Bailey were the announced participants. 
And then out of nowhere, some random music plays, and you see on the Tron something. And out comes the unannounced sixth participant returning to impact after a hiatus. Jake something is the final entrant in Ultimate X. And like, wow. Uh, so I don't know. This was yeah. like this was a good pop. Uh, I did we I did not anticipate this because they didn't put anything about how there's like a mystery entrant in this match. It just said it was all fun. No, it was a nice surprise. It was uh, it was cool to see him back. Great surprise. I mean, yeah. Since since he left, he was only really doing indies, and there was really no sign of him like. I mean, he came in strong. Signing in anywhere match. else? Jake came like, in I, strong. He just wiped out well, everybody. It, you don't really you don't see big guys in this match type very yeah, often. Yeah, exactly. So it was kind of it was different to see a big six foot three, two hundred and forty pound guy in this match type and doing his style during in this match. Like he was the guy that was throwing everybody around. Yeah, he literally powered didn't he, the guy. didn't yeah, I was just gonna say he didn't he power outside. bomb somebody on outside, onto everybody else. Everybody else outside yeah. Of him. yeah. I mean yeah. I even yeah, it's just it's just so interesting because like at one point he tried to just he was so tall that he looked like he was just gonna jump up and grab the X in the middle and doesn't and not even climb up the scaffolding to go across the, the, the ropes that were strung across. Um I also noticed that when I was at Rebellion and they did the ultimate X. Uh, between the I think the guns and uh, ABC, the venue at uh, Rebellion it was a nightclub, so the ceiling was much lower because they also had like a big, almost like a tron in the in on the ceiling that kind of is allowed allowed you to show visual and lighting if uh, during regular events like a like a club or the EDM thing. Um, so they weren't able yeah. to make the scaffolding as high. Here in Windsor, mm-hmm. uh, they had an actual like space, like enough room to actually do like a twenty foot scaffold or a like a structure, which Speedball Mike Bailey I noticed took great advantage when he did literally a twenty foot moonsault off of the structure, which I thought was crazy. <laughs> um, Alan Angels now once again on his own. Uh, he went all out. He pretty much hit everybody in the genitals in order to try to get the X. Uh, at mm-hmm. one point, I think he str- hit somebody in the nuts while he, he was like strung, while he was climbing. He did across. like a springboard and then jumped yeah. up and punched somebody in the nuts. Right. And then he did that multiple, he did that multiple times. He did it while he was hanging. He did it. It, it was, it was very funny. It was great. Um, to try to remember, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I felt like uh, Mike Bailey was, Mike Bailey was, you know, on something tonight. Uh, that show, I mean, uh, he was trying to do everything he could to win. Um, considering he was undefeated in this match type, um, coming off of the night before where he. <laughs> Had a match against Yoshihiko. In For GCW. those of you who don't know, Yoshihiko is a Japanese blow-up doll. So yes, who, he had a match who, who once, with a who once doll. gave Kota Ibushi nine straight destroyers. Yeah, yeah, wink, wink, nine straight destroyers. 
So I haven't had yes. the pleasure of going to watch going back to watch that yet. So well, yeah, because you, you go without. From... I mean, without really giving any. I mean, there's nothing to give away, really. But they basically em- tried to emulate Osprey versus Omega from Forbidden Door from like start to finish, which is hilarious. Okay. Um, but Mike Bailey, yeah, he was just. I really. I know that he he likes to do this, but I really think he should stop wrestling without shoes. Um, it, it's it it feels like this match type, especially wrestling without shoes, is not a good idea. Um, but yeah, he he just he kills it every show every every time he he goes. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. Um. And yeah, he. I was surprised. I was actually expecting him to win, considering. Um, I didn't. I really didn't think Kushida was going to win because we haven't really seen. Like, yeah, this was his that uh, frequently. This was his first match back since uh, losing the world title match at Rebellion to Steve Macklin. And yes, as you mentioned, Kushida ended up winning the Ultimate X. Uh, I think it was down to him and Alan Angels. And uh, this time, I believe it was Kushida who took a shot at Angels' uh, private area in order to um, yes. take advantage of the situation. So, And um, it looks like Kushida will be going after the X Division title against the current title holder, whom we will discuss later on. Mm-hmm. Next match is for the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championship. The Coven, Taylor Wilde and Kylan King, defending against the newly formed team of Killer Kelly and Masha Slamovich, who have a new name according to their entrance video, MK Ultra, which yeah. I am as I guessing is a play on their name M for Masha, K for Kelly, Ultra. Okay. Sure. 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 Why not? And uh, um, this team was basically formed after against all odds when they had a dog collar match and found out that they had more in common with each other than um, just being enemies. And uh, and I don't know if there's any sort of re- relevance to this, but the word, but MK Ultra uh, apparently was a secret project by the CIA back in the Back in the fifties or the seventies, the idea was, was to it, use was, was it use, Russia and uh... <laughs> um, what from what I'm reading it says here MK Ultra used um ex, uh uh let's see used developed procedures that identified drugs that could be used during interrogations to weaken people and force confessions through brainwashing and psychological torture. Uh, oh. Okay. MK well... Ultra used numerous methods to manipulate a subjects' mental states and brain functions, such as the covert administration of high doses of psychoactive drugs like LSD and other chemicals without their consent, electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, uh, other forms of torture. Okay. Oh, anyway, I am veering off topic. I, I, I don't think that, that is there's a connection. Um I mean, I get unless you count beating people up as a form of torture. Um, but 
regardless of that. Regardless of um, that, uh, I definitely sense the, the titles change here even before. Oh yeah, That's well the they they were pushing heavy were, for this yeah, team. Absolutely. Like you had two and, people who were good on their own, but considering that Masha had like a number of unsuccessful attempts at winning the Impact Knockouts World title on her own. Uh, and then they had this match, dog collar match. And then you basically had two people who were very similar in their style and mindset, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah it was a natural, I, I mean, ta- was a natural always, tag team. Yeah, I, I've always liked Masha as a wrestler in general. Like, I've seen her at indie shows before and GCW, of course. And she was recently their champion and she was killing it doing that. Um, and Killer Kelly is one of those uh, what-if scenarios in WWE because she never really got her chance to do anything there. Um, she was in the NXT UK brand, and nobody watched that show. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think that she's finally um, in a place where she's, like, flourishing as a, as a wrestler and a character. And these guys, these two just clicked uh, the moment they uh, quote unquote got together. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think that they're both great in and out of the ring. And I think that they will be champions for a long time. And um, yeah, I mean, until the next new team forms, right? Because the, uh, the knock on the, no pun intended, knockouts champ, uh, tag division is that. There's really only one team that ever exists at a time. So, I mean, right now it's a little better. They have three teams, I, as far as I know. Maybe four if you count Giselle Shaw and Savannah Evans now, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. They had a little... It's kind of been the same formula as the WWE tag cha- Women's Tag Championships, but they at least have like four teams across three brands right now. So, that's something but yeah i i i want to see where this is going to go from here uh the the coven is a good team and i'm i i don't i don't mind them either uh i like that like i like the taylor wild kind of went in another direction even though it kind of goes against what i said earlier but like her old character just wasn't working anymore um and yeah, and Kylan King getting the hell out of NWA and coming here was the best thing that she ever did because, uh, yeah, NWA. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy that she is um, finally getting the, the opportunity that she, I think, would have eventually got if she had signed with AEW. But um, she never actually did, which is weird, considering she was there all the time during the pandemic and looked good every time. But uh, yeah, I, I'm happy that she's in the in impact and going to probably just keep getting better. Yeah. Uh, next match. Um, here's one you pro- you probably wish didn't happen and really didn't care for. It is the match involving Scott Demore 
um, mm-hmm. facing Bully Ray and his partner Diener. Um, yeah. Wow, talk about a card subject to change. So originally, this match was supposed to be Bully Ray and Steve Macklin versus Scott Demore and PCO. Um, <laughs> PCO was literally set on fire by Bully Ray yes. and Steve. And um, mm-hmm. Scott Demore apparently tried to, in the storyline, tried to bring him back to life, but was unsuccessful. And we don't know where really PCO is now. Macklin, unfortunately, suffered an injury and he's going to be out for a couple of months. In fact, he was supposed to come up to Toronto again for an indie show because he is the local champion in the indie promotion. And now he had to vacate that title in August um, for the August show because he can't make it. So, Bully Ray needs a new partner. Scott Demore needs a new partner. Out comes Diener, um, who had no inner involvement with this whatsoever until he went on Busted Open Radio to, I guess, do a shoot to explain that way back when, Diener was always a Jeff Jarrett guy, which apparently Scott Demore wasn't a fan of. So, mm-hmm. that's where Diener's, and I guess, that's why he had a reason to be in this match. Scott Demore, um, now facing Bully Ray and Diener, has to find a partner as well. Uh, he was f- shown in the Go Home episode before Slammiversary, talking on the phone, saying, listen, we tried everything, and apparently PCO can't come back to life. The question is, can you? We pen off, He's grabbed, He's there's a Team Canada jersey, Scott grabs it, and that's it. And like, it became very evident who it was going to be based on some reporting out of Fightfuls.com that... Well, yeah, I mean, even before before that report came out, yeah. we kind of really didn't have any idea. People were speculating for a while. Yeah, so and, I mean, I was... Um, spec- at, at first, I was speculating Josh Alexander. So was I. Yeah. So was I. Which was a more... So this one made more sense if Macklin was still in the match, but then freak accident yeah. happens and it would have still made sense because you know it's like you know it's canada yeah, canada right? it's very canada. heavily canada laden uh, match so we find out that you know uh despite having been signed with wwe eric young for the last seven months wasn't really been used on their programming uh and apparently he uh, asked for his release back in april and it was granted and so he had been sitting on a 90-day non-compete. Um, found, I mean, I'm not surprised, but also found it interesting that Eric well, Young was very open about his moral objections working for WWE with Vince McMahon back in... Yes, well, because when he initially came back in November... Right, it was because he Vince, wasn't there. Vince, was, not there. Vince was not there, and he was promised some plans. I mean... There was, I mean, whatever, there was plans in place, apparently, for this whole, like, Wyatt family 2.0 thing, and it was going to be, like, the the puppets come to life deal, which everybody was kind of speculating, and Eric Young was supposed to be a part of that, and that kind of derailed, and then he just didn't get used, and then Vince came back, and... Yeah, he, he. I think this was, uh, 
I mean, it made sense for the fact that Diener was in the match. So, oh yeah, so um, this actually turned out probably in terms of like storyline better because PCO was yes. you know PCO was like the French Canadian Frankenstein, but his involvement with the three of those other people was minuscule at best. Um, when Scott mm-hmm. Demore comes out. And then they played the remixed version of my country's national anthem. And it was like, oh, it's a Team Canada reunion. Oh, it's Eric Young. Yeah. Oh, you also saw former uh, member A1 sitting in the audience. And it's just like, oh, by the way, I mm. almost forgot. Special guest enforcer, Darren McCarty from the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Considering that Pully Ray put this so... guy through a table a few months ago. it's I was always thought, why is he... I don't think he's going to be impartial in this situation. Impact slash TNA has always been very weird with their celebrity involvement. <laughs> like, if you if you remember back to, like, David Eckstein of the St. Louis Cardinals being involved in a storyline. And, um... Wasn't of Chris, course, Pac- wasn't, wasn't Chris Rock involved? In, in some, I've, I, I remember seeing. I think it was like er, I think that was like really early TNA. Yeah, that's yeah. What, yeah, but um, but it, it, even the, like the Pac Man Jones stuff, and um, the you know like the NASCAR involvement. There's there's been so much weird celebrity slash other sports involvement in Impact. Yeah, they picked and, like, the... the guy. The guy who used to be the Kiss Demon used to work there. <laughs> and yeah, it, it was all just so weird. Oh yeah, AJ Przinsky, he was a what a Chicago White Sox player. And yeah, there, there all was these so... names you're all these names you're dropping to me. Uh, I'm not a big sports guy, so I'm not as familiar. But are they really were they yes. really just minor players in the teams that you're so? So D- David Eckstein and AJ Przinsky were in a World Series together, I think, in, like, 2006. Like, right. against each okay. other. So, oh, uh... But Dale, they wouldn't have been... It, but if you were talking about that World Series, people wouldn't probably associate those two names first. They probably would talk about somebody... Somebody else. More famous. On both teams. Right. On both teams. Yeah. And, like, the Kiss Demon guy was part of that, I think, because he was a... He was on the... A baseball team as well, like as a coach. So who ended up becoming a wrestler. Either yeah, way, I don't there's, know. There's always they, just been really I feel, weird. I feel, yeah, I feel like Darren McCarty, they just picked him because uh he used to play for the Detroit Red Wings and he's Canadian and he's like he's known in the local area, I I guess. I mean Yeah. I mean he, he's, this is he's not been this retired. Not, I mean he's been retired since like two thousand five. He's like 50. So anyway, we'll get to his involvement later, but suffice it to say, very heavily yeah. laden Scott Damore hometown feel. He he had his mother was sitting at ringside to wish him luck. And like, oh my god, when Bully Ray was like interacting with Scott Damore's mother, it was like, please keep Bully Ray away away from old women. We always know historically that does not end very <laughs> So anyway, um, this match you know, commences the way it's supposed to. Um, Eric Young comes out in the big pop, shocking Bully Ray, obviously, and I, I'm obviously Diener, considering he was supposed to have killed the guy. Um, 
Scott Demore actually got some good moves in. He got like a nice leg drop and some uh, nice hip tossing, I think, and drop kicking. So you know, at forty seven, he probably still has it. Um, I guess at one point. So yeah. this is very important. Uh, the referee was not one of the regular Impact referees. It was referee. Uh, he's locally known in the Ontario indie wrestling circuit. Uh, we all call him Harry. Uh, referee Harry. Um, his last name is like some Croatian or uh, I think it's almost like some Albanian name, but he's Harry to all of us mm-hmm. uh, fans okay. locally. Um, so he was referenced this match, and during the match, he was intimidated on several occasions by Bully Ray to the point where, and I've never seen this before. And I I love Harry, but at this point, I probably wouldn't blame him, but. It was a massive, what I would say, dereliction of duty as a wrestling referee. He basically gave up, took his shirt off, and just threw it in Bully Ray's face. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm not refereeing this match anymore. So we're like, what the hell is happening? And at that yeah. point, Sir Darren McCarty of we that we just discussed saunters into the ring. And I decided to give himself an upgrade from enforcer to licensed official. So now Darren McCarty is now refing this match. Sure. Um, and he he's not really refing the match because at one because at this point this basically becomes a three on two, three on one match. Uh the more Eric Young and Darren McCarty are basically teaming up against Bully Ray. As I mentioned before, A1 from Team Canada comes in and I guess takes out Diener and Khan, who uh, who is still by Diener's side. Mm-hmm. Um, match basically ends with Bully Ray prone on a table and I guess Scott did a big splash off the top, crushes him, gets the p- pins Bully Ray, throws a Canadian flag over Bully Ray's story carcass and uh, it's a big... Local Windsor Windsor pop for the local boy coming who came home. Uh, the mm. mo- mother mother the more is very proud, and um, Eric Young is back in Impact Wrestling, and it's like, yay! Um, but I just thought I'm just gonna say this, and then I'll let you uh, conclude. Massively overbooked, and I was just like mm-hmm. laughing nervously throughout that. The, the the ending sequences it was like but I'm like okay yeah it's Scott it's Windsor it's home his hometown whatever <laughs> I'm just like whatever yeah I mean like I said I mean I mean the match was fine for what it was it, it was kind of what you expected some massively overbooked as you said um we knew who was gonna win we knew who was gonna go over who's going to get the pin it, all all of this was pre, you know all of this was expected um all of it including McCarty getting involved and becoming the rep i i would have called so it, I, I, would, I i i expected McCarty to get involved but i didn't expect him to literally take over officiating duties and not even do that job properly I mean, he was basically the third participant, as I mentioned to you. Well, it's be- it, this happens all. <laughs> this happens all. Like I said. Yeah, but to this extent, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it, it is what it is. Anyway, uh, I was glad this was the, not like my my biggest problem with all of this is that 
I was hoping, like really hoping, that Bully Ray was going to leave after this. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, once we come up uh, closer to talk about the world title situation, but uh, I guess my final point was like, I'm glad they did this match a little earlier so we could focus, I guess, more on the important stuff because they had if they had switched this match. With the Eddie Edwards defeating, oh, sorry, uh, facing Frankie Kazarian, I was like, eh. I don't know if I want to wait all wait until like almost main event uh, area for that for mm-hmm. this tag match. Anyway, uh, next we got another title change: the X Division Championship. Uh, mm-hmm. this wasn't really a match. So this is Chris Saban. No, Chris Saban, our nine-time. Now former Impact X Division champion defending against the uh, newly, um, well, not newly signed, but I guess Leo Rush. You know, he's no stranger to uh, all the wrestling promotions, um, but this is, mm-hmm. this is probably his first major run in Impact Wrestling. Uh, he yeah. attacked Saban before Slammiversary, and so Saban challenged him to a title match. Leo Rush comes out. Chris Saban comes out. Before the man can even get in the ring, Leo Rush does a tope suicide dive, basically knocks Chris Saban loopy. Mm-hmm. Chris Saban kind of staggers, and then Leo, I guess, does it again. So he does it twice. And Chris Saban is basically flat on his back or on his head. And mm-hmm. we don't even know if this match is going to start. So the doctors check on Chris and just see, can you continue? And then Chris gets up. He's like, He's saying, yeah, he can go, he can go. So he goes in there. Bell rings. Without with his jacket only just half removed. Leo hits him again, takes out Saban, and at this point, it looks like Saban's doing one of those things where he's like, he can't continue. He the man doesn't even have his jacket off yet. He's just flat on his stomach. He's like he looks like he's completely knocked out. Leo Rush hits him with his patented frog splash called the final hour. Uh, surprisingly, Chris kicks out. So Leo Rush does it again. A second final hour. And at 1 minute and 20 seconds, Leo Rush pins Chris Saban to become the new X Division champion. Um, so one thing I say is that, you know, the man said he promised he would become the X Division champion. That's what he came to do, and he did it. Uh, I don't think we expected it to be like this, though. And as of the impact on uh, the uh, the regular the episode of Impact right after a Slam anniversary, uh, they are still saying they're awaiting status on Chris Saban. We don't know what's happened to him, so I'm not sure if he's taking time off or. Or is there like an? I hope he's not having some kind of injury issue that they had to book this kind of a conclusion to write him off TV for a few months or something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of this? Uh, it was very surprising that that is the best that you could like. I I was expecting a hell of a match here, considering who was in it, and mm-hmm. I didn't get that. And I, I mean, part of me wants to believe that this is an angle, um, because I mean, there hasn't been any 
reports or anything about him being hurt um, or anything like that. Uh, I think they're going to go with like an angle of like uh, Saban went into the match not fully prepared and not knowing uh, anything about who he was facing and that sort of thing. And he was caught off guard, this and that, you know, and then they'll have a rematch and they'll have a 20 minute match. And Leo Rush will probably win again. Uh, That's just me speculating, but you know, who knows? I, I just thought this was very weird that this is the shortest match on the card when you should have gotten a banger here. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite a shock. And uh, as you said, we haven't seen anything about Chris Saban's status, so we don't know. And even still, if he comes back uh, sooner rather than later, you've got Kushida waiting in the wings because he just won Ultimate X. So um, looks like we're maybe seeing Kushida versus Leo Rush much sooner, perhaps at emergence. That's just my speculation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh so that's another title that changed hands. Well, so even far, it could be Multiverse United. They could wait till then. That's true too, uh, as uh, it is a New Japan Impact uh, joint show. So that is a possibility. Um, yeah. The next uh, title to change hands. It's a four-way match involving the champions Ace Austin and Chris Bay ABC. Versus Subculture, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, Brian Myers and Moose and Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan, who I'm not calling OVE because Rich Swan is from Baltimore. <laughs> no, they're just just a tag team. Just, yeah, they're just it, a tag team. It, it, just friend, just awesome. friends teaming. Yeah. yeah, interesting. I mean, um, one team not involved with this match is the recently reunited rascals of Trey Miguel and Zach Wentz. Uh, mm-hmm. and they will factor in later in this match. This is very hard hitting. Yeah. Uh, all the, you know, this is like one of the, this is a four way tag team match for the impact world tag team titles. So anyone can tag in anybody. Right. And, but the strategy is if you tag yourself out, then you don't, you're not in the, uh, you're not in the decision. When the ref is like, yeah, making a count or seeing if you quit, so that's the risk there. Um, always hated that rule. Yeah, it's always strange. I never wonder. I always wondered why, if, if you have a four way tag team match, why don't you just have like the four guys in like four a, members of each team in the yeah, ring? Why not? Like, yeah, so I, I don't understand it. Somebody I never. I, we need to find. Very, like, we need to find somebody to explain this to us. There, there is no explanation because sometimes, uh, depending on the company and and the time period, they will they will do the four people in the ring at the same time, and then the next time they do it, they'll have two people in the ring. It doesn't make any sense. There is no explanation. Yeah, just um, weird. It, it's always been weird, and I've always hated this rule. Yeah, always. I mean, uh, like, and we've seen teams take advantage of it, obviously. Like, right. there was, like, that New Age Outlaws thing in, like, the, in 98, where uh, they just pinned each other so that they would win. Hmm. Um. So, as I mentioned, 
this is okay. Well, there was a lot of like just really fast action here. Everybody really got their got in the their 10, 10 seconds of in off or well, like their five minutes of offense here and there. Um yeah. so really the turning point was the rascals, uh who thought they were gonna be added to this match, but realistically they haven't they just reunited as a team. They haven't really done anything. Trey just came off a very long run as X Division champion. Um they get mad because they're not in the match. So they run in and distract Austin and Bay, which then resulted in uh well interestingly enough, a subculture I think they pinned I'm trying to remember who they pinned. Was it Rich Swan or was it Myers? Because I definitely uh, I remember. Think it was Myers. Yeah, so we got an interesting situation where the championship changed hands, and the champions were not involved in the decision. So now we have Subculture as the new Impact World Tag Team Champions, and looks like they're gonna be here a while because they Ace and Bay just had their rematch on Impact on Thursday, and once again the Rascals ran in. Caused a distraction, knocked out Austin, left Bay alone with Mark Andrews, who rolled him up for uh the win. So now we've got uh Austin and Bay possibly facing the Rascals in uh, maybe a number one contenders match down the road to see who's the next challenger. Mm-hmm. I think eventually we're 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 heading towards the Rascals becoming the world uh, the tag team tight champions. Because they never got yeah. that in the first in, in alliteration of the Rascals, you know, when they were the fun, yeah. like, treehouse guys, you know, mm-hmm. doing some dubious stuff around a table in some dark room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I thought this match was fine. I It was it was fun for what it was. Um, I was surprised by who won, uh, considering... I, I think we all didn't really think uh, Ace and Bay were going to retain here, especially right. with the odds against yeah. them. Um, but we've we've seen them get out of bigger situations, I guess. But um, Moose and Myers is such a weird team. Uh, Swan and and Sammy is such a weird team. I I don't understand why they just threw these two teams together. And have they've kind of just been staying together for whatever reason? It's weird. It's it is, really it is weird. weird. And with Moose and as we mentioned that uh, Swan and uh, Sammy, so they actually uh, on Impact on Thursday just uh, now as of this recording, they had a tag team match against the Good Hands. After the Good Hands challenged Scott the Mortar fight, and instead Scott, because he's president again, is able to call matches. And so he made a match between the Good Hands versus uh, Callahan and Swan. And as for Moose and Myers, yeah, they're still together as well. I'll bring them up later on because apparently they got back together with an old friend. So that is, so what what am I on now? That's the fourth title change so far. So the tag team title change, the X Division title change, the knockouts tag team title change, and the Digital media championship changed. So now we are down to the final three matches. We're in the singles match between Eddie Edwards uh, against Frankie Kazarian. Oh, 
and their wives, apparently. So Eddie Edwards was uh-huh. his wife, Alicia, and Frankie Kazarian brought back uh, the so, original knockout Tracy Brooks. Because. So surprisingly enough, this is my least favorite match of the whole show. Even more than the the more Bully Ray fiasco? Uh, yeah, because at least that match had a reason for it, like the way it went down. This match just didn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah. It, it the whole story was stupid. Oh, these these two have traded wins and they have to get another win, but their wives have to be involved because Alicia keeps getting involved. And, and it's like it, and they tried to team them together one time because you know, hey, we're both Kowalski got Kowalski guys. And I was yeah. like, no disrespect to Killer Kowalski, but it's like you'd have to like do some research and figure out who Killer Kowalski is and like and if even if you did, the only person that ever mattered that was one of his trainees is Triple H. H. I didn't even know they were trained by Killer Kowalski. Um, oh, I did. Like Edwards, I actually didn't know. Uh, like I think I heard about Frankie Kazarian, but I was like, oh, I didn't even know Edwards. I didn't know Eddie Edwards was trained by Killer Kowalski as well. But yeah, this yeah, match was uh, you know the, the you this know, match the, just didn't matter. No, I at mean, all. Ending was like because the wife interfered again and brought in a kendo stick, and now. Uh oh! By the way, you think this? You I know you said the match didn't matter, but apparently they're gonna do some more stuff with it because uh, uh, Alicia and Eddie had a backstage segment where they were bragging how they won. Uh, Tracy basically got in Alicia's came backstage and got in Alicia's face and starts brawling with her. Meanwhile, Frank and Eddie start fighting again, which led to security coming to try to separate all four of them. And I think this is leading to what I'm guessing is gonna be a mixed tag team match. At some point, Tracy Brooks, who hasn't wrestled in over a decade and was never good at it. <laughs> my only, my only memory of Tracy Brooks is she was, at one point, trying to seduce Eric Young, um, mm-hmm. and to try to like, uh, lead him away from focusing on this match that if Eric Young lost, he would be fired. And then there was a, it was all a backstage segment. Um, yeah, and it was like Jeremy Borash trying to. Eric, don't go down this road again. And then Tracy Brooks is like, where? The road to my bedroom? And it's just so uh-huh. cringe. And thank God, Gail yeah. Kim Gail Kim at that point came into the shot and they planted a big smoocher on Eric Young and told him to focus, Eric, focus. And then Eric's like, okay, uh-huh. okay, gotta focus. Uh, so yeah. that is uh, my only memory of Tracy Brooks other than she, current Didn't events. she used to didn't she used to like manage beer money or something? Uh, she, she, maybe I don't, I, I, I don't even remember it. I'm looking up. I don't her, even remember. I'm looking up anymore. her. Uh, I'm looking up her uh, bio here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, just, let's see. Uh, nah, I mean, she did some weird stuff as a like as trying to dress as schoolgirl or something. That's really odd. Um, mm-hmm. And. Yeah, I think she was in a faction with like Shane Douglas and then AJ Styles, and then at that point they recruited Frankie Kazarian, and she also did. Yeah, but she did manage Robert Bobby Roode. Um, okay, so other than yeah, that, I, you're I, right. I, rec- I recalled that. I wasn't sure if it was one of them or both of them, but yeah, it, this this just didn't matter. The match was fine for what it was, but it, it just like. Who cares? That literally, who cares? 
I, I understand that Kazarian left AEW because he didn't feel fulfilled. And that's that's fine. But whatever he's doing here hasn't mattered at all. He he would probably do better if he went back to being suicide. Honestly. <laughs> and I, I'm not even saying that to be funny. I'm not I'm not even not even saying that to be funny. Like he it, it whatever he's doing. If it's not with Christopher Daniels, I feel like it doesn't. Anyway, yeah. Um, let's move on to basically the whole main events of the evening. Mm-hmm. The match for the Knockouts World Championship, um, Diana Perazzo defending against Trinity, formerly known as Naomi. Uh, very much anticipated match. Uh both were very respectful of each other in the beginning, but obviously things broke down, and now we've come to the point where they have to face each other, obviously, because, uh, yeah. And uh, this was a very solid match, and Trinity, in the end, made Deanna, made Deanna do something she had never done in Impact Wrestling before, and that is to tap out by submission. Trinity has this new submission she calls Starstruck, which is like almost a triangle chokehold. In this yeah, version, she was she was yeah. doing it in WWE. If she was, I um uh, I'm struggling to remember when because she's always did it like I always remember like they made her use the rear view as a finisher. She she did it very rarely, but she was using. Okay. But yeah, this was much anticipated because you know they hyped up Trinity as being a champion and all these uh in the other place before which she was um in numerous occasions. And uh yeah, well deserved. I mean, she basically tapped out Diana in a hold that she used that she then in just in on the fly modified to just basically hook in, I guess. Diana's legs as well. So it's like almost a leverage that Diana uses on her own um Fujiwara armbar, but turning it into yeah. what they call the Venus de Milo, where she Diana would hook Both in both arm. arms and yeah, both that arms, would be yeah. excruciating. So yeah. um yeah, go on Trinity becoming the new knockouts world champion. Yep. This was a very good match. Yeah. Um I have said numerous times in the past. And I I think it holds true that Trinity slash Naomi is very good when she cares enough to put on a good match. Because when she was in WWE, there would be times where you could tell that she did not care. And her performance would definitely wane because of that. She definitely cares about putting on a good performance here. Cares about proving that she's what she believes she is worth and that's why she's been having great matches and impact um i like i think it's great that she's the champion i think she's going to have good matches down the line with everybody including a rematch with diana at some point um and yeah i'm i'm curious to see what they do um as far as like Multiverse United goes, because I, I believe they did, did they announce that Julia is going to be part of uh, Multiverse? 
Uh, I haven't heard anything. I think that is like speculation. Well, she's going to be in town or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Multiverse United is on August 20th, um, 2023 in Philadelphia. So the only matches announced right now are... Um... So, uh, well, we know that Tanahashi is going to be there. They just don't know whose opponent is. And as we mentioned, we're speculating that Leo Rush versus Kushida could be a match. So Leo yeah. Rush is booked that night. I, he, I, I, believe, just, I just remember now. I believe that there was speculation of Julia being in Philadelphia for that weekend. Yeah, yeah. And and because um, she she I believe it's like her first American tour. Oh, like, okay. Uh, because uh, I mean, she just worked. Uh, New Japan Independence Day, but that was in Japan. Um, and um, yeah, I, I so as, as people know by now, and we've talked about it previously, Julia uh, defeated Willow Nightingale to become the New Japan Strong Women's Champion. Uh, and I've talked about in the past how Julia has become since I've started watching stardom earlier this year has become one of my favorite female wrestlers. And she's easily one of the biggest crossover stars in stardom. Uh, she just has that. She has that natural charisma of somebody like even without talking. She, she's one of those. She's very, she's like Hiromu Takahashi in her own way. And, um, yeah, if she's going to be in America for that weekend and in that in that city, I, I feel like it would just make sense for her and Trinity to have a match here um, at Multiverse United. Which, if that happens, I, I hope it's a hell of a match. And also, I would not have... I, I, if you had asked me when Trinity and Mercedes left WWE, which one would have a match with Julia first? I don't think I would have said Trinity. <laughs> but here yeah, we are. I, I, I mean, agree. I mean, obviously, it has nothing's been announced, nothing's been confirmed, or anything like that. But it just feels like it has to go there, right? But it it could also be it could also be Diana because. Julia has a belt. Yeah. So. I mean, that makes more you never sense. Know. Like, you know, you always have a champion versus champion match, but is it like. Yes. But, you know, would it make more sense to put up a challenger that doesn't have a title? Doesn't have a belt. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. And you could uh, always put Naomi against somebody like, uh, like Mayu Iwatani if they wanted to, yeah. or um, somebody else from Stardom. Yeah. All right, uh, we are moving on to the main event. So that's five title changes. Uh, we're moving on to the main event for the Impact yeah. World title. Uh, the champion, Alex Shelley, defending against the national treasure, Nick Aldis. And so here's where the president breaks, and Alex Shelley, I'm very happy to say, retains the title. Uh, against a very game Nicky Aldis. Uh, Aldis tried a number of things. Um, really 
the way this match ended was all this tried to introduce the title belt to use as a foreign object, obviously. Uh, gets caught. Um, title falls to the floor. All this tries to, uh, I guess, use it on Shelly, but Shelly reversed, hit a DDT on all this on the title belt, and then proceeded to hit Shell Shock for the pin. Um, the match itself was solid. Um, but I don't think the biggest memory of the match was Alex Shelley retaining. It was after he celebrated in the ring where we got a dimming of the lights and a sort of pulsating noise. And then you hear the familiar music of former champion Josh Alexander emerging from the shadows. Josh yeah. Alexander, whom we haven't seen since around uh, March because he tore his tricep. And had to miss Rebellion, which took place in his hometown, Toronto. Josh Alexander returns in Windsor and basically steps in the ring, gets a microphone, and just says two words, I'm back. And I thought Tom Hannafin said it best. Uh, Alex Shelley's holding on to the title that Josh Alexander was never beat before. Mm -hmm. And so... um, First of all, let's uh, word about Nick Aldis. Uh, it's been reported that Aldis has finished up his time with Impact Wrestling. And this is something yeah. you and I discussed earlier. We were just saying this is probably just a transitional run for him in Impact. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, there was speculation for a long time that he wasn't signing long term. And that was for a reason. Right. Because... Um, he was apparently very close to signing with WWE and um, this supposed uh, hiring freeze happened and then he needed something else to do for that time. And I think that at some point soon that hiring freeze is not going to be in effect anymore and he probably will end up in WWE. Um, there was reports of a while, a long time ago, like a few, I think even before he went to NWA, that um, apparently Randy Orton was blocking him coming to WWE. Apparently, over some exchange they had, in, I, I don't know if it was in person or over social media, but um, I guess that's been squashed. I, I think. Um. But, uh, yeah, um, I wasn't sure if Aldis would win here and then his time would run out at Bound for Glory. But I also wasn't surprised when he lost here because of all that was that we just mentioned. Um, I was very happy that Shelly finally got the world title, finally got the spot that he probably should have gotten long ago, even before Chris Saban got it. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought this match was very good. Aldis was uh, working up the heel tactics in this match, and I absolutely loved the uh, finger in the turnbuckle spot that Shelly did. Uh, yeah, Shelly like, does did a lot of like um, 
you know, um, joint manipulation stuff, I guess, for lack of yes. Well, it's also because he Shelly is a is a smart wrestler and knows that all this has a power advantage over him. And if his if his hand is hurt, he's not really going to be able to use that power. So when he when he got Aldous's fingers inside the like the metal part of the the turnbuckle and was just like wrenching on it. Yeah. I I actually really liked that. Um <laughs> and he just worked on the hand like the entire match and that played into the match throughout. Yeah, and um you know, it worked to uh his uh advantage because, you know, and I'm very glad that Shelly retained uh, as opposed to losing like everybody else that yeah. that, that night. Yeah. Um, um so, also it just felt it felt like the shell shock kind of just came out of nowhere and then the match was over. Like he doesn't uh I mean I I don't know. It it was a, it was like I said the match was fine and I enjoyed it. It just felt like the finish was so abrupt. I guess cuz they had to get Yeah, the thing. I was it was it, that it, thing it, at the end. Yeah. It was almost like I felt like maybe Shelly and Aldis should have come before Diana and Trinity because it seemed like, uh, but you know, I understand why now because they did Josh's yeah. return. They wanted yeah. to end the show on that note. Um, mm-hmm. So, interestingly enough, uh, last year's emergence, uh, Josh Alexander was the champion and he defended it against Alex Shelley successfully. So this year's emergence taking place once again in Toronto. Um, I thought like, you know, this would be a natural way for Josh to get the title back. However, there's been a number of developments that um there's two things really. One I didn't mention to you off off air before, but um they announced bef- uh before this pay-per-view Slammer first we ended that at emergence, uh the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Sonata will be making an appearance there. Sonata, mm-hmm. who su- just came off a successful defense at Forbidden Door against Jack Perry in Toronto as well. He's coming mm-hmm. back to Toronto. So, um, not sure what Sonata's, who Sonata's going to be facing, but uh, that really piqued, piqued my interest. And yeah. the second development is while you all expect Joshua to go straight for the to get his rematch again, as per the recent episode post anniversary, um, Josh and Al- Shelley had a bit of a stare down. They they both mutually agreed that Josh should get a rematch, but they were interrupted by first the X Division champion Leo Rush, who said he might just invoke option C and interrupt this little uh plan. But then you get the X Division, I'm sorry, the winner of Ultimate X, Kushida, coming out saying that you're not going to cash in on Ultimate X because you're going to have to go through me first. Which then prompted for some fucking reason Bully Ray's music to pop out and Bully Ray coming out to face, to confront Josh, Alex, and Kushida. At which point, a sneak attack from Moose and Myers results. Yeah. And you now you've got Bully Ray reunited with his old buddies Moose and Myers 
beating down these three. Leo Rush is just sitting on the turnbuckle watching all this. At one point, Bully Ray offers Leo Rush a cheap shot on Alex Shelley. Leo Rush, I think for the for smart fit, does the smart thing, declines, says, y'all take care of your own business. I got, I'm good. I'm ex-division champion. I got my own stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're either going to be seeing a six-man tag team match at Emergence, which may spin off to some other stuff. Um, by the way, Sonata is going to come to Emergence, so who knows what the hell he's going to be doing there. Uh, so what I originally imagined, a rematch from Emergence is now spun off into possibly a six-man tag team match with, once again, Bully Ray being... On camera, I guess wanting revenge on Josh Alexander for hard to kill back in January. The guy got uh-huh. the guy got his butt kicked by not only Josh but his wife as well. And it's like we really want to run this by again. So I don't know. I guess they're gonna do another thing with Josh Alexander again and Alex Shelley's next challenger. Yeah. Maybe Myers, maybe Moose. Who the hell knows? Maybe. One of them, at least, maybe uh, even Bully I, Ray. Does Bully Ray get another title shot? Really? Well, I've know. been I've been what? saying for a while. I've been saying for so long, even before like all of this stuff that you just described to me. Because <laughs> I did because I did not watch Impact. I was unable to watch it because my cable is out right now. Oh, um, that um, Bully Ray needs to stay far away from the title picture and honestly he he doesn't need to be here at all but because the the scott the more stuff should have been the end of him being an impact that that is the story that is the ending of the story he is no longer here that i i get it He's a Hall of Famer two times over in WWE and this company. He's and basically come he, back to life this year more than PCO at this point because it's like at Rebellion it, it, we thought it was over yeah. at Rebellion and it we and for a month we thought it was because he wasn't on he, he he didn't come back and then against the yeah. odds he came back and then at Slam Anniversary we thought it was over. I mean he literally had the Canadian flag draped over his dead carcass and now he's back. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, I, all, all of it, it. He just it, it. There's there's no need for any of it. There really isn't. Um, but either way, uh, in my eyes, this was a solid show. And uh, yep. I mean, I hope, I hope that Impact continues to do well going forward. But I, I, I just can't get behind. All of this bully ray involvement. Well, notwithstanding, he, he is he is the J- AW's Jeff Jarrett right now, and that <laughs> is so annoying. Well, thankfully, I think Jeff Jarrett has lately stayed off of TV for the last few weeks. Other than that blind eliminator thing, he was in in with Matt Hardy. Yes, he hasn't yes. really been any part of prominent title matches or storylines. That is correct. But he, not, he at not, least, yeah, notwithstanding finally, the, yes, yeah, notwithstanding the bully Ray stuff, uh, things have been pretty solid. I mean, you could say the Frankie Kazarian stuff isn't really catching on as well, but 
everybody else is doing very well. Uh, now they're they're mm-hmm. still continuing their long-standing partnership with New Japan Pro Wrestling, which explains you know having Multiverse United and having Sonata, the IWGP Champion, showing up at the, in Toronto. That's a that's a heck of a that's a heck, heck of a get. So, yeah. uh yeah. So there you go. There's Slammiversary. There's our recap. Um. Anything else you want to talk about, Mike? Uh, I know there's been a lot of wrestling stuff that happened this well, past week. This uh, just this past week in general has just been crazy good for wrestling. Um, the the first thing, really, I mean, all of the stuff was kind of happening on the same day, on on Saturday, the the fifteenth. Um, or was it? Wait, it was the fifteenth was Friday and. Saturday was the sixteenth. Uh, July fifteenth was the Saturday, I think, because I remember Slam first. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's fifteenth because uh, today's the twentieth. Today, as we're recording, it's Thursday, the twentieth. So if you count backwards, fifteenth uh, would be on the Saturday. Okay, yeah. So all this stuff that happened on the fifteenth alone was was huge. So we had on. AW Collision, we had possibly the one of the best tag matches ever in a uh so we had a two out of three falls match for the AW World Tag Team Championships, FTR defending against Bullet Club Gold members Jay White and Juice Robinson. This match was absolutely nuts in a good way. Um, they spent the first 25 minutes of this match without a fall. And it it was just absolutely crazy. And Jay White just could, Jay White was kicking out of absolutely everything. They are protecting the hell out of him. Um, but the, the uh, BCG would win the first fall, and it seemed like maybe they were going to get the sweep, but uh, but FTR really like stepped up in the second fall, and um, they almost went to a time limit draw here. So all uh, title matches in AEW have a sixty minute time limit. Oh yeah. And this match went to like 58 minutes. That's crazy. Um and uh yeah, FTR would just pull out the they were literally pulling out everything and of course they both falls they they pinned Juice. Mm-hmm. Um because they're protecting Jay White as you yeah, said. Yeah, Jay White Jay White is being heavily protected. He's he, he literally I I think he kicked out of a shatter machine. He kicked out of a spike pile driver. Uh they went for the, the FTR was pulling out everything in this match. Power, glory, uh everything. And Jay White was just he he was absolutely amazing. Everybody in this match was absolutely amazing. Um, if you if you haven't seen this match, I highly recommend you see it. Because um, it is on par, I would say. I can't 
I can't say whether it's better or worse than any of the FTR Briscoes matches, but it's like right there with most of them. Um, it, it, it is that good of a match. Um, but yeah, that that match was absolutely amazing. Then also on the same same night as well, of course, I couldn't watch all this stuff on the same day, I had to spread it out. But, um, Triple Mania was also, so, Triple A, uh, is a Mexican organization that is, um, been around for a little while, for like 30 plus years to this point. And, uh, that is where a lot of the top Mexican talent are from in, AAA and CMLL are the two big organizations over there. And a lot of the guys that we know from Mexico now are from AAA. Um, Roosh is from AAA. Uh, uh, Vikingo, who uh, was part of the main event of the show, that, that is his home organization as well. And on this show, we finally had a uh, rematch and a championship match between uh, El Hijo del Vikingo and Kenny Omega. They were the main event of this night two show. And they once again had a hell of a match. This match was actually a lot shorter than I expected. It was only 18 minutes. But they they were throwing everything at them at each other in those eighteen minutes. Um, Kenny Omega was in control for most of like the first half of the match, and he was hitting V trigger after V trigger, of course, because that's what Kenny Omega does. And Vikingo would just have an answer for everything, and of course, the story of all Kenny Omega matches has always been: as soon as he hits the one wing angel, it's over. And he never got the chance to do that. Uh, Vikingo, he is... So we've seen Vikingo in AEW. We've seen him in GCW. We've seen him on uh, ROH. He's been doing a lot of... He's been getting a lot of bookings in America because of how good of a worker he is. And um, he is like a superhero in Mexico. They absolutely love him over there. And uh, he is just uh, on another level in Mexico, in in the rings especially. Um, He is um, just, again, through everything at Kenny Omega that, and there was no, like, scary spots like there was in their AEW match. But, um, at one point, uh, Vikingo was uh, basically on the ropes, and Kenny Omega got back into it, and Vikingo uh, would hit a splat like a four fifty, then follow that up with a, a another splash, and then he would hit a six thirty, and that would put Kenny Omega away. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot of great spots in this match. Too many to go back and even talk about. Um, but 
hell of a match that I think everybody, even if you don't really watch Triple Mania in gen, like the whole show, just see that match. Um, there are there was another match on the show that I actually enjoyed, and um, so Triple Mania is a is a three night event. Um, they did the first show in July, and this was the second show. No, the first show in June, second show on the 15th of July, and then the next one will be on August 12th. Um, and they've been doing this tournament, this uh, this tag team tournament. So basically what it is, it's, it's you know how AEW has been doing this blind eliminator and all these people have been teaming with each other that don't normally do that? Yep. Um, they've been having this tournament called the Guerrera Day Revilladetis. It's, I think it's called it's rivalry war. Uh, trans it translates to rivalry war, but um, so all the teams have been like people that have like feuded with each other, essentially. Um, <laughs> and the way the tournament works is, um, there was so there was four mat uh four team uh uh. Sorry, there was two first round matches. It was uh, Pentagon and uh, known horrible person Alberto El Patron uh, teaming with each other against Psycho Clown and Sam Adonis, who have been feuding on and off for years. Um, and the losers are the ones who have to move on in the tournament because the losers have to give up something in the finals. And it's usually the same, you know, like Mexico always does those, uh, you have to shave your head if you lose or lose your mask or something. So that's basically what it is. When you lose a match, you go on to the next round and then face the other team that lost. And then they, those two teams face each other and then the teammates face each other in the finals and the loser has to lose their mask or shave their head. But, uh, so the, the two first round matches that took place on night one of triple mania was Pentagon and Alberto versus psycho clown and Sam Adonis. And then Roosh and LA park versus blue demon jr. And DMT Azul. And, uh, the losers, in this sense, because that's who moves on in the tournament, the losers. The losers were Psycho Clown and Sam Adonis and Roosh and L.A. Park. So we got so that brought us to this match on this show, where the partners were all fighting each other instead of fighting their opponents, because all of the partners hated each other. So Roosh was fighting L.A. Park the whole time. And Psycho Clown was fighting Sam Adonis the whole time, even though they're supposed to be partners. And then at some point, you know, things would break down and then they would end up just fighting the people they're supposed to be fighting. But this this match went all over the place and got bl very bloody. And uh, I thought this match was great for what it was. Um, but it ended up being a draw because there was a double pin. So what they decided is instead of the finals being the losing team faces each other, 
all four of these guys are just going to face each other in a fatal four-way. Okay. And whoever gets pinned, I guess, is uh, either that or... Oh, no, I think they're going to do two singles matches. I'm not even sure anymore. I have to look into it. But, so now they're going to do a fatal four-way between all four of them or uh, two singles matches to determine who has to lose something, whether it be hair or mask. And if it was up to me, it, it just seems like Sam Adonis will be the one to lose and have to shave his head or something. He also has the least amount of hair. <laughs> and the other guys that have masks probably shouldn't lose them. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I enjoyed that as well. Also, and the, so one other thing, the, the G1. So the G1 has been going on. We're uh, four nights in already. Uh, and the, sh- the, uh, the tournament itself will be going until August 13th, I believe. Um, so they, they changed up the format this year. Uh, so they are still doing four blocks of uh, participants. So there's an A block, a, a B block, a C block, and a D block. But the top two points leaders in all of the blocks are going to go into a tournament, a, se- a single elimination tournament, after the round robin is over. So the round robin is going to go until, um, I believe, night... Uh, let me see, night... Uh, 10 and then on night 12 they're going to have a tournament where the two leaders of both blocks will go into a tournament and then the winner of the tournament will uh fit the semifinals and the finals will be on the final night uh so as far as the the best matches that I've seen so far, and I think that everybody should go out of their way to see, uh, night one, hands down, the best match was a time limit draw between Shota Umino and Ren Narita. So recently there's been, um, and I, again, we kind of talked about this recently, Shota Umino, Ren Narita, and... Um, Yota Suji have been dubbed the new three musketeers of New Japan. And that is a moniker that nobody wants. Um they usually when you get dubbed the the three musketeers of New Japan, or at least the you know, the top three future stars or whatever, that means you have to live up to a certain standard. And that means that you have to prove yourself to to on another level because you're expected to be like the next Okada or the next Naito or whatever. So nobody ever wants to be dubbed that. But usually when people do get dubbed that, it means that they want those people to work on another level. And Shota Umino and Ren Narita took that to heart. Um, they went to a 20-minute time limit draw. So all of the G1 matches are 20 minutes to prevent these shows from going super long. 
uh, which I thought was a great idea because you can have great matches in in 20 minutes or less. And um, yeah, so that was easily the best match of night one. They were absolutely killing each other with strikes and uh, trading signature moves and all that. Uh, best match of night two was easily Eddie Kingston versus uh, Shingo Takagi. Uh, this was Eddie Kingston's first ever uh, match in New Japan. Uh, oh no! Well, he had the Independence Day. His first match in the G- in the G one, and yeah. yeah, and um, he just looked like he was having a blast in there. Um. If you didn't see the, uh, so New Japan usually does a press, a big press conference before the G1 every year. And, um, they always do something crazy. Like every person either does something crazy, funny, or whatever. Uh, there were some highlights from that, but Eddie Kingston, <laughs> they, uh, I don't know if this really happened or if they just made it seem like this happened. But they made it seem like he was late to the press conference. So he showed up in just what he normally wears. And <laughs> uh, holding a kendo stick and just yelling a lot. <laughs> and um, uh, Shane Haste, uh, the former uh, Shane Thorne, uh, who was part of TMDK and all that, he showed up dressed like Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber, that stupid orange sh- suit with the hat. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, uh, freaking uh, El Phantasmo did a uh, did like a translated uh, like a transcript that he made Chris Charlton read where he said something about he said a bunch of stuff about nipples i don't i don't remember yeah yeah um basically you made an english guy say a bunch of naughty words yeah <laughs> uh it was very funny um and <laughs> you can see kenta in the background of that just like trying not to laugh <laughs> which was great um but regardless of that uh yeah eddie kingston versus shingo was absolutely great um they again this was uh eddie kingston's first g1 match and he actually won it here and um which is very surprising i i I mean i i expect eddie kingston to have a strong performance and maybe even make it to like the semifinals but i don't think he's going to win obviously uh unless they want him to face sonata at wrestle kingdom which i don't think is going to happen (laughs) Um, but uh, as far as like night two goes, that is one of the matches I highly recommend. And, uh, the main event also of night two at Jeff Cobb versus Tetsuya Naito. That was a fun match that Jeff Cobb actually won, which I was very surprised by. Um, and, uh, as far as the other nights go, so we're up to night three and four, um, my my favorite match on night three was again, it was this time it was Ren Narita versus Yoda Suji, and they also went into a time limit draw. So 
these three guys are absolutely killing each other. So I I, I wonder if uh, Yoda Suji and Shota Umino will also go to a draw when they eventually face each other. Um, but yeah, that was another one. Uh, Sonata had a good match with Shota Umino, which he won. Uh, Okada had a good match with Phantasmo, which of course Okada won. And uh, on night four, we had um, we had Evil beating Eddie Kingston, which I hated because uh, the problem with the House of Torture is that all of their matches are shenanigans based. So like in the in the best of the Super Juniors, when uh, whenever Show would have a match, Evil would be in his corner and try to start shit. In this tournament, it's Evil has Dick Togo in his corner, and all he does is the same thing that Evil was doing for the show. So it's just getting really annoying there. But um, Zack Sabre Jr. beat Toriyanu. So Toriyanu, you know, Toriyanu, of course, has all his antics and whatever. And so Zack Sabre Jr. made uh, their. Uh, made the TDMK young boy come out. I can't remember his name at the moment, but made him come out and tape all of the turnbuckle pets to the posts so that um, Toriano can use them. And uh, Toriano, uh, it, it looked like the, uh, the young boy for TMDK was going to step, was substitute for Zack Sabre Jr., and um Toriano was like, I don't I don't want to face this guy. So he tries to like go up the ramp and make a make a uh, a young lion take his place. And then as he's going up the ramp, Zack Sabre Jr. comes from behind and chokes him out. <laughs> and he just lays there for like five minutes. And that's when they uh started taping the turnbuckle pads. And then <laughs> when Toriano finally came to. He he taped Zack Sabre Jr.'s legs together <laughs> to try to force a countout victory. And um, so Zack was just hopping to the ring and got, of course, got into the ring by 19. And then Zack was able to break free of that and win uh, pretty easily. <laughs> So that was that was that was entertaining, of course, like most Torianos. I mean, Torianos not for everybody. It, he's kind of like the sports entertainment guy of New Japan. If you like that kind of stuff, it, it it's funny, but it's not like it's not always the best. Hmm. Um, but the best match I think of there was a couple of matches from Night Four that were really good. So Hanare had a great match with Shingo Takagi. Tetsuya Naito had a great match with Hiroki Goto. And Tamatanga had a great match with Tomohiro Ishii. Um, so not everybody's going to be able to watch G1. I mean, it's 13. It, it, it sounds like it's 12 hours of wrestling is what you watched. It, it's 19 hours of like, 19 shows. 19 shows across a month. Yeah. So it, it's a lot. Uh, there was one year, I mean, I think it was a pandemic year that I actually got to watch the whole thing. 
Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch all of it this year. I, if I ever, it, a lot of times I'll watch, <laughs> I'll watch it when I have free time at work. <laughs> but um, so that's been helpful. But yeah, there's just a lot of wrestling right now, and it's all been pretty good. Um, and I guess we'll close that with blood and guts. Yeah. So, um, this was the was it the third blood and guts I'm aware yeah. of. Yes, so, I believe so. First one that did not involve Chris Jericho, as I know. That is correct. I think, thankfully, we did not see Chris Jericho in this one because uh, it just wouldn't have fit. And mm-hmm. uh, these the replacement for Brian Danielson that the BCC found actually did fit. It was the Bastard Pack, who does have beef with the Elite as they broke his nose during the Best of Seven Trios Championship uh, series. Correct. Um, Notice this in right in the beginning when Claudio and Pac were the first two BCC members in the cage and uh-huh. they didn't look like they were getting along. This would play into a significant role at when uh, in the conclusions yeah. of the match. But uh So there was miscommunication early when it was yeah. just uh Claudio and Pac in the ring. Yeah. Kenny and Kenny and Claudio started the match as uh, commentary would explain that they right. are, they are the uh, like the workhorses yeah, of both teams. Pretty much, they keep uh, referring to Kenny as the anchor, which yeah, he really is, to be honest. Yeah, uh, but uh, Claudio is definitely the workhorse, also in a sense an anchor for that group. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can let's. I mean, let's talk about when the match actually started. I mean, because. You know, guys entering. Well, well, well I don't even... know. Was there anything of significance in between before the match actually began when all ten members were in? So the... as soon as John Moxley oh, came out, he pulled uh, out a bag yeah, of glass. Pulled, you know, no, he pulled a fucking fork out of his pants and started. Oh yeah, yeah. The fork, the fork Hangman first. And, Hangman Page and Omega, well, and I was so like, he had... was so it was so fitting because I just finished the Dark Side of the Ring episode on on Abdullah the Butcher. And I'm like uh, wondering if this was uh, sort of a kind of a vague tribute to the legendary career of Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he he walked into the ring and immediately st- started stabbing people with, with a fork, and then he gave he pulled out another one out of his pocket and gave it gave it to Claudio, and then that that's when he went outside and pulled out a yeah. bag yeah. that they assumed. So people didn't a, weren't it sure a if it white was bucket. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, was a bucket. Like, yeah, I was so like, what? People is, were people weren't sure what this was. Yeah, I I was thinking like, is he gonna keep stabbing Kenny and Adam Page until they start bleeding, and then he's gonna use the bucket to collect their blood? <laughs> I was like, well, what the uh, hell? I was like, remember. AEW recently released a series of moves that they could no longer use. Or, or things have that to get approved had to get approved of. Obviously, in Planet so Guts, blood they, was approved they, of. But I was like, nothing. I don't think anything needed to be approved for this match. No, they, they were, were just, just like they were just like whatever. Just, just do it. Do whatever you want. Box so the bucket. This please. bucket. This bucket contained broken glass, <laughs> and 
So throughout the match, whenever somebody would just walk, and they put the glass right by the entrance of the ring. So, <laughs> it's so... like you have no choice but to touch the glass if you want to get in here. Yeah, so everybody's just getting slammed on the glass, and everybody's got glass in their back, and Moxley took like the biggest bump early into the glass, of course, the person who Yeah, you know what I noticed? Overall, the one who was really bleeding a lot was John Moxley. Nobody Shocking. else. Nobody else. Played. Shocking. I was like, that's not how blood and guts matches usually go. Everybody at least bled a little bit, but uh, like... yeah. So once the ring started filling up, because there wasn't a lot of big spots in between, so they went to commercial every time somebody every time. Uh, BCC so I know they. I know the, they went to commercial when Wheeler got in there because it was. Just they like... went to commercial pretty much every time BCC had the advantage because yeah. they. I guess I, I. I guess they figured there wasn't going to be a lot of action in that moment. There, those moments there was just going to be like gang up on the team that has the least members at the time. Yeah. Um. But there was a big. Um. So so right as they're about to uh bring in the final member of the Golden Elite, which yep. was the debuting Hoda Ibushi, John Moxley once again does something that nobody was expecting and pulls out a legitimate bed of nails and just is torturing Kenny Omega with it. Right. First, uh, he pops it against the corner, and then he tries yeah. to throw Omega into it. Omega blocks it with his foot, which probably hurts because he's stepping on it. And then Omega yes. counters, and then John basically dropped shotgun drop kick Kenny into the bed of nails. Um, yes. So, so right read, before, yeah, right, right before, before Ibushi got into the ring. John Moxley was stomping on the hand of Kenny Omega in the nails. Right. right. And um, this was this was reminiscent of the AEW debut of Jeff Hardy, where he, he's like um, dancing to the ring while his dancing to the is, ring while his brother is being tortured. Yes, I was like, so I was someone was joking online that said Kota Ibushi's entrance is now longer than the Undertaker's. Um, I mean, yeah. Wheeler Yuta had to like I thought. They're at a point where, like, when Wheeler exited the cage, because they are allowing you to do this in this match, he was running yeah. towards Coda. I think it was like a, like a subtle reminder. Hey, Coda, get in the ring. <laughs> so Coda yeah. punches out Wheeler. He gets in the ring. He's still walking slowly. He's slowly inside, walking and just and giving everybody. Punching that, everybody. Everybody that just, gets in his way gets a single strike. And right, because they play that leads, his, that, yeah. that leaves him in the far ring. Looking at John Moxley stomping on Kenny's hand in the bed of nails, and Kota and is still slowly moving, to... slowly moving to save his very close friend. Um, and yeah, so this is where you know, of course, everybody in the ring, the action starts to break down. Um, Nick Jackson, once again, doing his uh, damnedest to uh, steal the show, you know. Uh, doing all his quick moves and in and out of both rings and uh, 
Matt Jackson ends up going outside to get uh, Miller unit yeah, and they, they climb end up, up the cage. On the top of the cage where Matt does his fisherman suplex. He, his, Northern, uh, Lights, Nor- Northern Lights. Northern Lights combos. Lo- locomotion. Where I was wondering, do they have a table set up outside? Because it looks like they're about to throw Wheeler off the cage. Well, he made it seem like he was going to throw him off and then Wheeler um, fought, fought out another, of it. Another and, cre- yeah, another creative spot yeah, he, was... Yeah. Okay, he prevented that from happening and climbed down. Right. But Matt Jackson stayed up there for yes. some reason, and well, we found out why. Yep. Uh, there was a bag of thumbtacks up there for some reason, and he just rained the thumbtacks into the far ring. Yeah, so the and... top of the cage, there are sections where you can walk on it, but then there is like literally the great... There was conveniently a section where there was basically a hole in the cage that was like a yes. great... And Claudio and Pac, in a rare moment of camaraderie, looked like they were about to do stooling pile drivers on, mm-hmm. I think, um, Nick and Adam, maybe? Yeah. And then Matt just takes that bag of nails and just starts pouring it down from the Th- ceiling. Thumbtacks. Thumb, thumb thumbtacks, sorry. Uh, yeah, thumbtacks. And, you know, it's just your average bag of thumbtacks being laid out on the on the mat. But it's just... Yeah, so uh, they conveniently... The the they were the conveniently spot, placed... <laughs> we're allowing Nick and Adam and Nick and the other person to back body drop Pack and Claudio onto the bed of thumbtacks. Um, right. I also want to give an honorable m- mention to Excalibur on commentary because during the match, uh, he read an ad for the American Red Cross uh, uh-huh. asking for blood donations. <laughs> he absolutely planned that. <laughs> and at that point, everyone just even like every commentator was just giggling. I think at that point, everyone broke mm-hmm. character. Even Don Cal was like, "Good job, Excalibur." Um, yeah, um, uh, yeah. This so, uh, yeah. this was just absolute madness. Uh, just so uh, at one point, at one point, the crowd chanted, "We want tables!" And as soon as that happened, somebody went and got a table. Yeah, and so I think that the crowd got cocky and. They were like, oh, okay, they gave us one what we wanted right away, so let's ask for something else. And they started chanting, we want fire. Oh my god. They they, they, they didn't get that. but that, um... well, Of course they did, because the two people <laughs> that used fire in AEW are, one, not with the company anymore, and two, in Japan. <laughs> well, they could have did a flaming table spot, but regardless. So they put this table in between the rings. Oh, yeah. And um, I forget who was laid up on it. I think it was Nick Jackson. And, I think it was uh, Matt, maybe. I'm trying to remember. I, but it was it one, was of, the one of the Jacksons. Yeah. So Pack climbs the cage and monkey bars like across it and swings off of it and does a stomp through the table. That was one of the most creative spots I've seen in a cage like that in a, in a long time. And it was one of my favorite spots of the match. Um, so things are things are just breaking down. It's crazy. I'm absolutely loving every moment of it. And um, Kenny Omega has Claudio in the uh, has Pack in the corner, and Claudio runs at him to do an uppercut. Okay, so this was a setup where. Um... They basically isolated Omega, all members of the BCC. They're basically doing stuff to him in the corner 
Moxley's yes. co-signing him. Wheeler's co-signing him. Takesha kicks yes. him in the face. Claudio, I mean, no, Pac comes in. Um, that's when Omega kind of ducks, and then Pac gets in the corner. Um, Omega, and then Omega's in front of him, and then Claudio's going for his uppercut, and then Omega ducks and hits Pac by accident. Yes, um, so that immediately uh, created the the out that we saw coming where Pac was going to ditch the match, and I guess his his grudge with the Elite did not matter because getting hit by your partner was like okay, time to go, time to leave. Well, <laughs> I don't think care about, anymore. Think about it from his standpoint. He's he agreed to go in his match to get revenge on the Elite, right? So yes. it's almost like a business transaction, and. His attitude was basically, you know, you stay out of my way and let me do my thing. We're good. But in several occasions, as we've documented, that did not happen. And uh, basically, um, they start arguing with each other, Pac and Claudio. And then, I, and then it looks like Takeshita was trying to side with Pac and trying to calm him down. And Moxley, dripping with blood and just gore, trying to look like the peacemaker. And then finally, Pac just... Gives up, flips everybody the middle finger. We were wondering what he was trying to grab from under the ring, and it turns out to be a pair of pliers because the referees lost the key to the chain around the door. <laughs> and so uh, Pac- I don't think they lost it. I think they were just trying to keep them in there. After right, the, and after the so that didn't matter because Pack uh, basically clipped himself out of the match, almost slammed the door in Claudio's face. So we effectively turned the match into a five-on-four situation, which at this point we were like, yeah, I think it's over. Or or it was like, yeah, I mean, at that point, you kind of knew how this match was going to conclude. And they're at a point where they isolated this time Wheeler because, mm-hmm. you know, he's the fall guy usually. And then at that point, I just see in the corner of my eye Takeshita exiting the ring, and we're all yeah. noticing Don Callis. I he he because remember what what Kenny said after they were done with the BCC, they were going after Don. So probably Don did the smart thing yeah. and told Takeshita, "Okay, time to go, man. Time to go." And I think that kind of put to rest uh, their association with right. uh, BCC, and. Um, at that point, I was kind of curious if like Jericho would show up after. Uh, well, even before before Takeshita yeah, left the even, ring, that's a good point you bring it up. It was like, is Jericho going to come in at this point? And but it's like, why at yeah. this point? Because Dawn's already left. You know. Well, I meant I meant before before Takeshita left the ring. Oh, okay, but, okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, now it's. Now it's five on three. Yeah, Wheeler is just getting and tortured. Um, Matt Jackson, yeah, Matt Jackson is using yeah. the the tax on his foot to like jam in the Wheeler's yeah. face. Cla- classic Matt Jackson spot. Yeah. Oh, and and let's can I can I just finish on this and then I'll let you speak. They isolate John Moxley by handcuffing the man in between the two rings. So, well, yeah, that, that's Moxley's, what I was going to mention. It's stop Moxley can't get anywhere. To stop them from beating the crap all the week. Because remember, Blood and Guts only ends by either submission or surrender. So yes. really, there's no pinfall or anything. That Claudio, is actually cl- classic war games. Rules. Yeah, Claudio um, is like out. Um, yeah. And then we see Hangman. Uh, and this was a throwback to when he was feuding with Mox. Uh, pull out a big metal chain. And mm-hmm. just they wrap it around Wheeler's neck and basically choke the shit out of him. 
Yep. And then suddenly the bell rings. And I'm like, what happened? And then later I explained, Moxley surrendered to save Wheeler. And I was like, wow, that is so yeah. endearing. It's like, well, he, it's like he he's needed, trying to well, save his son, basically. It was, I think it was, it was. It's like adopted and, son Wheeler. Well, first of all, because he knows how that feels. Yeah. Like, first of all, that, that. He knows how that feels. And then second, he didn't want the kid to die. Right. <laughs> it's one uh, thing. It's like they've been conditioning Wheeler in this BCC training for so hard to like not give up, not give up. Don't tap out. You know, if you're in a pure rules match, don't use your rope breaks. I mean, this dates back to Regal. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was I'm wondering. Moxley was like thinking, he's not gonna, he's not gonna get out. He's gonna, he's gonna literally die if he, he, he he's not gonna surrender. He's literally gonna um, die in there if, if I don't do anything. My immediate thought about this was, Brian Danielson's not gonna like this. Oh boy, <laughs> Daddy's home and he's not happy. Um, he's gonna probably call John Moxley soft for doing that. And that's going to create a rift, and BCC will probably not be long for this world once Brian Danielson returns, um, which is uh, unfortunate because I really like the group. Um, but not necessarily. I mean, I don't think they'll break up. Maybe they'll just be on a hiatus, and then something. Maybe they'll break up, but then they'll reconstitute. Maybe Danielson will find some other guys who like fill the ranks because the original idea well, for Blackpool Combat Club was always to like bring up next uh, the next generation and like to. Well, well, based on that, there's a few things. So uh, earlier in the night, uh, we were talking about Jericho. Um, he was out there for the finals of the Blind Eliminator, which was won by MJF and Adam Cole. And he went to talk to Guevara and Garcia after the match, and they walked out on it. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Um, so I wonder if that's going to lead to something like them or just Daniel Garcia eventually, finally joining BCC. Hmm. Like, like we all expected he should have. Well, um, he is scheduled to face Shabata for the Pure Title yes. Ring of Honor Pure so, Title. So going off of all that, I think Elite versus BCC is finally over. We're going to transition into Callis family versus Kenny Omega, whatever that's going to be. And um, I mean, there's a possibility that it's a Callis family versus Elite and BCC because they kind of have a little... Yeah, maybe this link would be abandoning them during the blood and cuts because you know yeah so after the show went off the air kenny omega got on the mic and um said that they respect the hell out of bcc for everything that they put them through before and in this match and he made it a point to say that wherever the young bucks go kenny omega will follow Hmm. uh putting some fuel in the fire of the speculation of the contract situation with those guys. Yeah. Uh, and after that happens, Kota Ibushi decides to take a bump. That he's just going to 
lay in some thumbtacks and act like it doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> yeah. The guy doesn't even went he doesn't even wince when he, he, he nothing. He gets back up and he's like, oh, there's thumbtacks on my back. <laughs> it was really funny. Uh because that, that wasn't on air, that was on social media later. Yeah. But um so 24 hours later, time of recording, it was announced. Well, actually, less than 24 hours. It was announced the main event of Death Before Dishonor is now Claudio defending the ROH World Championship against Hack. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was supposed to be defending against Mark Briscoe, who is unfortunately going to be out for a long time. Uh, with uh, knee surgery. And uh, yeah, so this was a seamless transition into this match from the night before. Uh, I'm curious to see how that match is going to go. It's going to be a hell of a match. And uh, that brings us to our final topic, which we're going to go through quickly. Yeah, quickly. It's been, uh, as of now, we've recorded over two hours of this, so... Yes. So finally, we're going to discuss the all of the matches announced for Death Before Dishonor, and I believe there is twelve total. Yeah. Um. So one of the uh. So we have the we'll, we'll work backwards. So the main event, as we mentioned, is Pack versus Claudio, and I think I think it's going to be a hell of a match with Claudio retained. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it, and at first, like, you know, we speculated who Claudio would face in uh, Mark Briscoe's absence, you know. Naturally, you know, Eddie Kingston's not available. He's in Japan. Uh, we thought, actually, it was going to be Kota Ibushi. Um, yep. But then, with all the stuff that unfolded in Blood and Guts, this was the only one that made sense. Um, I mean, there's an outside possibility that Pac may win the title, but it's still, I'm pretty yeah. sure... This was meant to be um, like a placeholder until like Mark Briscoe heals up whenever that is, or they find yeah. somebody more suitable. Um, uh, the TV championship, yeah. uh, Samoa Joe Versus... is defending against Dalton Castle. Yes. Uh, I don't think that there's any question who's winning this match. No. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if like after Samoa Joe finishes this match prob- most likely quickly. Is a new challenger going to emerge? Who the hell knows? Uh, yeah. So, so Samojo will win. Yeah. Katsuyori Shibata defending the Pure Championship against Daniel Garcia. So I didn't like that Daniel Garcia got pinned on Dynamite uh, since this match was coming up and we right. all knew it was coming yeah. up. I, I think Daniel Garcia is going to win. Yeah, me too. It's starting to uh, lead that way. Sh- Shibata, Shibata's been a hell of a champion for them, but he's not going to be around forever in ROH. So, yeah, uh, Daniel Garcia will win here and hopefully something bigger for him. Uh, Fina defending against Willow Nightingale once again. This is coming off of Willow Nightingale winning the female side of the Owen Hart tournament. Uh, where she already defeated Willow 
in the semifinals. I mean, defeated Athena in the semifinals and won by defeating Ruby Soho, who once again lost in the finals two years in a row. Yeah. Uh, I think Willow's going to ride this momentum to a tight to, to the victory. Um, Willow kind of fell into the uh, strong women's championship that she wasn't supposed to win. Uh, she won the Owen here, and then uh, it just—I think it just makes sense that I think we were building to this anyway. I think we were eventually going to get to Willow defeating Athena for this belt, and now we're here. Yep. Uh, and then we have the four-way tag team match for the Ring of Honor World Tag Titles: the Lucha Brothers versus the Kingdom versus Best Friends versus Aussie Open with. Um, Mark Davis, who was signed along with Kyle Fletcher, returning after recovering from injury. Um, uh, pretty little... odd. Pretty odd that the best friends are in this match, considering they haven't been on ROH at all. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it Rapungi Vice that was on ROH with uh, Trent yeah. with uh, Rocky Morero? But I don't know. And it's... there's. There's this other part, teams. Yeah. I don't think the Lucha Bros are going to retain. I think the King, the Kingdom are going to win these belts. Okay. Um, I think the best friends are in this match to take the pin. Mm. That is that is why they are in there. Yeah. Um, we got some other matches. Um, the the Righteous. Well, yeah, the, the Righteous, Vincent Dutch, and Stu Grayson versus the Dark Order. Evil Uno, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver in a fight without honor, which is basically a no disqualification match. That is correct. Uh, this match has kind of been building for a while. They, uh, the Dark Order, is kind of a been losing all of their friends, and uh, now they're they're fed up and they they want to they want to show Stu Grayson and the rest of the Righteous that uh, they are not jokes like people have made them out to be. Uh, so I think that's going to be a fun match. Um, and then as far as the rest of the card, oh, the six-man tag team championships. This was weird. Being, that was, yeah, this very was... weird. Being yeah. defended against the team of New Japan's Master Wado and Ryosuke Taguchi. And Leon Ruffin, as a former so NXT, random. former NXT North American champion, Leon Ruffin. I was like, this is so random. Like, why is Leon Ruffin teaming with these guys? Yeah, why like, isn't it? Why isn't it Cheeseburger? I, 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 first of all, yeah. <laughs> it's like he had had no involvement with like New Japan or, or ROH, as far as I can tell. I mean, I think they really just inserted this just to give the 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 mogul guys a squash win, and I'm like, yeah, I, they're definitely they going to really win. don't have any credible like three man trios teams. There, the Leon Ruffin is in there to take the pin. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, uh, the only other match it, on the main card is um, a singles match between Commander and Commander, and versus. Uh, who you told me offline is Bandito's brother, Gravity. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, Gravity, I, I didn't know too much about him before uh, 
before today, honestly, because he has he's worked dark a whole bunch, and he's uh, I guess Mexican Italian or something. Oh, uh, he's been work he's been working in Italy like a lot, and um, yeah, apparently he's very good, and his brother Bandito is of course very good. So I hope that this is a good match. Uh, and and gravity, which is very weird name for a wrestler. <laughs> At first, uh, I remembered there was somebody competing under a mask during a dark match, and I was later told that it was actually Brian Danielson under the mask. Oh, you mean you mean Infinity. Infinito? Infinito, Inf- yeah, that's, that's Infinito. Infinito. Yeah. I, I I love Infinito. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, as far as the rest of the card, these are all pre-show matches. Uh, Action Andretti and Darius Martin continue to team against the Work Horsemen. Uh, Layla Hirsch will be facing Trisha Dora. Layla Hirsch will be winning that. AR Fox versus Shane Taylor. I think AR Fox will probably win that. Hmm. And no, Josh man. Josh Woods versus Tracy Williams in, in is a pure a, <laughs> rest, in a pure rules match. That would a be pure rules match. Uh, it's a Josh back. Yeah. Yeah, Josh Woods will probably win that. Okay. Uh, and I think Action Andretti and Darius will probably win their match. So should be a fun card. And yeah, I just that, remembered why you said AR Fox might win over Shane Taylor because AR Fox is scheduled to have a international championship title match against Orange Cassidy on Dynamite. Correct. So they want to put over the guy that they're promoting. Correct. Anyway. That was over two hours of analysis of Slammiversary and Impact. Uh, whatever hell Mike was watching the rest of the week up until now. In so Newton, much wrestling. As well as Blood and Guts. And we just gave a quick rundown of Death Before Dishonor coming up on Friday, July 21st in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, and that's it from SLTD Going Over Big Time Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening, and we're gonna sign off now. Have a good have a good day.